Welcome in to another edition of Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula. I am here once again with my guy Jake Heck, and we are going over episodes seven and eight of the Last Dance documentary. I can't believe we are down to the last two episodes after this week, but that is unfortunately the case. Um, I think this was my favorite week so far in terms of the episodes. I thought this had the best stuff. I know last week up to that point was your favorite episodes, but like this one for me was kind of the first time I like I liked it all, but it's the first time I like really got into it. Yeah, I'm going to I mean, I think you could say that every week just because like it's so fresh when we do this pod. Yeah, I'm so into the topic that they're talking about. I think um, there was a lot of five and six I find really, really interesting. I have a little more. I don't know. I feel like maybe I had a little deeper background on just this small segment of the doc so it wasn't as it didn't like it was really good but i'll stick with five and six just for the sake of argument here so part of it for me is number one it covers it's starting to cover stuff that i specifically remember Mm. like my first my first bulls memory really is john paxson hitting the game winner against the suns that's my first bulls like, I remember that happening live. Right on. Um, so I was like a little, I was not quite six years old when that happened. So everything from him retiring to him playing baseball to Space Jam to the comeback, like that's all like getting right in my sweet spot when I'm starting to really, really care about sports. Okay. And so, like, I remember I've got the newspaper clipping at my parents' house somewhere of the I'm back um the announcement when he came back from from baseball i had (laughs) it it used to hang up on my bedroom wall my parents house the announcement that he was going to be in a looney tunes movie um like i I got that's we're we're starting to hit the spots where i'm like very fresh and stuff that i remember happening in real time so i really connect with that stuff that's fair i think that's yeah i mean that's that's definitely reasonable i'm not um, I definitely, I mean, I remember being gifted the VHS of Space Jam when it was relatively new. I'm not, I was, I mean, I was very young, so I'm not sure if it was actually like fresh out or if I got like, you know, when it went first got price reduced, whatever, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, uh, uh, I remember that. And then I think, um, I gotta, I think it's like the, the jazz, the two jazz finals. So 97, 98 finals, I do actually uh have memories of watching but yeah. they're kind of loose so yeah so for me i just i think i've done a little more reading on maybe this time frame and seen some more docs you know espn's done i think three different 30 for 30s maybe even four cover basically these three years that we kind of went over two well, three years do jordan rides the bus, the bus. they've got they the got magic moment time, magic moment Winning time with Reggie Miller. Yeah. Um, and so then that's three. that's three. Is there a Knicks one in there, or is I or am I just confusing that I with think winning? You're time? thinking winning time because yeah. there's no so, real Knicks one because there's no Knicks anything to talk about for an hour. Just, <laughs> yeah, it's just tough. So yeah, so I mean those three. Um, and so, so I just talk, I don't know. I yeah go. Let's talk let's Space go. Jam for a moment. Let's talk Space Jam before we get into the real stuff. Let's talk Space Jam for a moment okay. because. I am literally wearing my Space Jam shirt today because I was anticipating us covering some of this. Okay, so, good. 
So I'm all in on it. Yeah. So I am all in on Space Jam also. I, I maintain that it holds up. I understand that the plot is nonsensical, but, like, it's a fun movie to watch. I don't care. Like, if you like Michael Jordan and you like Looney Tunes, like, it's just a fun movie to watch. Well, I mean, the plot holds up as long as you're under the understanding it's in Looney Tune land. Like, Yeah, if you, like, buy into the premise, it's more or less okay. Yeah, but, I mean, it's just like, yeah. Um, I don't know. I love that movie. And a couple things. I think it came out when I was in, like, fifth grade. Maybe the summer November before. November of '96, I think. Okay, so it would have that would have been fourth grade. So, couple things. Number one, Space Jam soundtrack was like the first rap music I was ever allowed to listen to. Okay. So that was super important for me, and still is to this day because it was like my introduction to hip hop, because it was like a. You know, it was a G-rated movie, so it was, like, safe music to listen to. So my yeah. mom was okay with it. But it was also, like, real hip-hop artists. Right. So it was, like, this perfect blend of, like, stuff that was okay for a fourth grader or fifth grader to listen to. Um, yes. So that was awesome and, and really Im- influential in my life. Um, number two, that... <laughs> Those are the dogs. Um, <laughs> the... Looney, the Toon Squad Michael Jordan jersey was an iconic piece of, of apparel in like fourth and fifth grade. And yep. number three, they produced maybe the greatest pair of Jordans ever. The Space Jam yeah. 11s are way up there. Oh, yeah. Like, not only because the 11, I mean, ESPN put out this week that the 11 is the greatest sneaker of all time. No argument here. Yeah, you know, I think we actually have that. I mean, and Space Jam, the Space Jam colorway is one of the best versions of that particular sneaker. Yeah, it's one of the most. I mean, it's you've got like the like, Concord, the is that yeah, the Concord, the bread, white, and the black is the Concord. Yep. Um, you've got the win like 96s, which are the all reds, which I don't think he ever actually wore. That was a new colorway. Yeah, I was gonna say. So those aren't like, uh, like uh, these like, like super the OG ones, right? Yeah. Uh, the bread, one, the breads are super popular, obviously. Um, uh, which is the black the, uh, with the red bottoms. Yeah, the all the black, black with bottoms. red bottoms. Those are the breads. Those are super. Uh, after you've got the um, those in the contest are the one that he wore the most. And I. Th- yeah, and I think all I think the cherries were also I think they're called the cherries, but they're white with they're like the, they're basically the concords except for the black. Um, it's red. Yeah. So those, and those were pairs that he wore the most. The concords and the breads yep. being the ones that I remember the most. Yep. Uh, and then they've had re-release with a bunch of different colors. There's some with some like guys. This isn't working. Thank you. Um, they have some uh, really cool different colorways that they've come out with as retros. They've got some with like the snakeskin bottom colors. They're pretty cool looking. But those, uh, the Concords and the Breads are kind of the OGs. And the Space Jam uh, is one of my favorites as well. So definitely say what you will about it as an actual like piece of filmmaking. It has a lasting legacy in pop culture for all of those reasons. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I mean, we get the whole, you know, the little nugget about him wearing the North Carolina shorts underneath his jersey and stuff. And what's funny is you see this beside the scene footage and I keep seeing the North Carolina shorts in his locker. Like, that's real. Yeah. You know, and it's just like when that movie came out. Yeah. I mean, how would you have known? Right. And I think, I think when I was really young, I think I believed it. And then when I got older, I was like, ah, it's probably just for the movie. It's probably not that real. And now I'm like, oh, it's super real. Every time you see his locker, those North Carolina, (laughs) the North Carolina shorts are in there. Yeah, and it's become very clear the dude is actually superstitious, so it is not shocking that he would do that. <laughs> yeah, he's he's he does a lot of things on he does almost everything on purpose. Yeah. Um so that's all I had on Space Jam. I just wanted to make sure we covered that because uh I still love that movie to the day I die. And iconic Bill Murray performance. Oh yeah. Maybe I mean Maybe one of his best ever. And honestly, I saw the stat line. He played one minute, got one steal, one assist. What more do you want from the guy? He could play in the league. <laughs> and also one of the best lines when he's like having the chat with like Larry Bird. And who's the <laughs> other guy that he's talking with? When? Um, I forget who else is with him. Oh, he's talking to Michael. He's talking to Michael. They're all out golfing. Oh, yeah. He goes, hey, you know, it's a tough time for the league. All the stars are missing their talent. Do you think I've got a shot? And he's like, no, man, you you got no shot. And Bill Murray goes, is it because I'm white? And he goes, hey, Larry's white. He's like, Larry's not white. Larry's clear. (laughs) So true. He goes, I'm going to give us both twos on that. We we were in no condition to putt. (laughs) We're in no emotional state to putt. Yeah. I also like how like Michael Jordan gets sucked out of golf court and they're like, we're just going to keep going. We're going to finish out here. He's like, we, well, they both are under the impression that Michael can do literally anything. Larry Bird called him God disguised as Michael Jordan before. So they just assumed he was trying to get away from Stan, which not a bad move. It's I not. It's, it's not a bad move. I do want to throw out, I looked it up, the VHS, VHS came out on March 11, 1997, and I'm pretty sure I got it for Easter of 97, so okay, I was within so they a... they got it pretty got, quick. Yeah, my parents did good on it. It's actually my grandma. She's a big Jordan fan, so I got a bunch of nice. legit Jordan stuff uh, through her. Still Dude, that's have. how my grandma was. My what grandma was? was, my grandma and Aunt George were huge Jordan fans, so I used to get tons of cool bull stuff from them, like... We, I would get all these like T-shirts and pennants and all sorts of stuff. Uh, they, so they had incredible. They they had an incredible impact on my Jordan loving because yeah. they like provided me with so much stuff that like my parents wouldn't have been able to get for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, my grandma was she was a big fan. She had all the collectible, a lot of the collectible stuff, and um, so I got all that. It's dope. Um, all right, so let's get into the kind of the meat of the episodes. This one starts off yeah. on a pretty somber note, obviously, with you've got the retirement uh, or you've got the Jordan's dad uh, being murdered and then the subsequent retirement right after that. Uh, they touched on an issue with uh, Jordan's dad's murder, which was the media almost immediately started saying started questioning whether or not Jordan's uh, father, James Jordan, whether his murder was related to Michael's gambling. Um, yeah. Which, first of all, feels wildly irresponsible, considering what seems like zero evidence to that fact. Right. 
Um, it's just like pure speculation and honestly a real Bush League move. Yeah, the literal like they showed the clip and the literal the news reporter literally said this is a bitter twist to the dark side of an all-American story referring to Michael Jordan's all-American story like in just that short time because of the the gambling story that came out during the 93 playoffs there's just a couple months before this just a couple months before yeah he went from being like the America's sweetheart loved prized possession angel to being talked about as a bitter twist to the dark side. Like, all of a sudden, he is just gone. Like... Yeah. Like, it, it's it's wild, you know? It um, really is. And I, I want to touch on a few things here. First of all, I don't believe that there's any truth to this. Um, and, and for a couple reasons. And you can kind of just logically break this down, right? Right. Number one... Part of the reason that Michael Jordan was in this situation where gambling was an issue was because he had paid his gambling debts. There was a check with his name on it. <laughs> right. Like he had been paying and he was so casual about paying his debts in the sense that like it was not a big deal for him that he didn't even like hand guys cash or anything. He wrote personal checks to people. Like in the sense that he didn't even care if there was a paper trail. Like he obviously did not think this was a big deal. And again, part of the it wasn't like he had a broken hand because some like collector had like tried to rough him up a little bit. It's because there was a paper trail of him paying his debts. Right. And this is one of the most valuable Americans in the country at the time. And especially not just like income wise, but when you talk about his value in terms of what to the league and to Nike and all this kind of stuff. One of the most valuable people in America, in America, it doesn't make any sense a, that he wouldn't be paying his debts because again, we have a paper trail of him paying his gambling off Two, he's obviously got the money to pay things off. So it doesn't make any sense why he wouldn't. And three killing his father seems like the worst way. If both of those other two scenarios are untrue, He's still one of the most valuable people in America. You have so much more leverage over him if you do other things versus murdering a member of his family. Yeah, because they they arrested like two individuals, any, right? Like they went to trial. I mean, like it just doesn't make any sense. No, like there's just no. Um, somebody alluded to that that uh, one of the people they interviewed there was just a really bad job right? by the national media. Like they really did a horrible job of handling this, and I think that's absolutely true. They had nothing. They had no facts. They just wanted and, a story. It's like clickbait on Facebook. It's it's horrible. And, like, listen, even if you are assuming, okay, the murder part was accidental, they were going to kidnap his father, it still doesn't make any sense. Again, for the f- first couple of reasons that we pointed out, that A, he no. had a ton of money and had no reason not to pay his debts, and B, we had a paper trail of him paying his gambling debts. But also, he was driving on some random Carolina highway between North and South Carolina and just decided to pull over. You know how long they would have had to have been following him for them to just find him there? <laughs> We're talking about no cell phones, no GPS, none of this stuff. Like, they just, they had, I mean, you would have been following him for at least 24 hours up to that point to know he was going to be there at that time. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. No. What The thing that makes the most sense is there was two guys that, saw a 
Lexus on the side of the ro- road and we're like, hey, let's break into it, see if there's any cash or anything valuable. That's it. Like, that's the thing that makes the most sense. Yes. And and they and stumble a horrible... upon a man sleeping in the front seat and they panic, somebody does... they shoot him. Yeah. And it's and that's what happens. That's the most reasonable and plausible explanation of what happened. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, that that's, that's just a like you said, it's just bush league. It's just horrible, and some of the quotes that came out of that are just horrifying. And I just I, I can't imagine like this happening in the media today, like how people would. It would though, right? You know, like if there's, it would absolutely. Yeah, it happen. would. It because would. There's happen. even less. There's even less journalistic accountability today than there was back then. Right. It's just interesting. It just wouldn't happen. I just can't imagine it happening to somebody of his status. You know what I mean? Like, Well, part of the problem is there's only like three people of his status at any given time like in the world. Right. And that, you know what I mean? And that's just what it's like. How, like, what is the problem that he got that kind of crap treatment <laughs> of, the, of the rarity of having someone like that? Like, he got crap treatment i honestly think part of this is just a random like celebrity culture theory but part of the problem was that there were fewer celebrities at the time because you didn't have like the internet and things making people famous like the internet and reality tv and so now we have so many celebrities that there's always a scandal of some kind going on whereas you don't get all of your scandal energy focused mm. on one person sure you know what i mean no, like I, I mean that's oh the kardashians I mean, did something and then kanye west did something and then some people from jersey shore did something and then some <laughs> youtube guy that i've never heard of but it's really popular with 15 year olds did something and then oh tom hanks got corona and then you know what i mean like there's always something and there's infinity times more celebrities now than there was in 1993 there just are because there's more outlets to become famous yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that's probably so a the, part of it. The pressure is, while there are more places where pressure can come from, the pressure is also diffused over way more people. Way more people. like people. Yeah, like the media wouldn't be waiting to find some, something you don't have on Michael the Jordan because they got something on somebody else already. Worldwide, you don't have the entire like worldwide media corpse like, like focusing on one guy all the time. Yeah. But I also wanted to, since we were talking about the gambling stuff, I also wanted to kind of roll this into the retirement thing with Jordan as well, unless you had anything else on his dad. Um, no, no. I, I will say that I, I guess somewhere along the way here I missed, like I, I just was reminded that he was missing for weeks, that this wasn't like some quick, oh, we found, we found your dad on the side of the road thing. It was like yeah, very dumped, drawn they, out. They dumped the body um, and everything. Um, yeah, which makes which it even again, worse. It yeah. does make it worse because it was drawn out, but again, does not lend itself to this was somehow like they were trying to exploit him for gambling money, right? Because you would have like taken a picture of the body, sent it to him, something to be like, "Hey, we killed your dad. Pay us up, like pay up, like right. your your wife's next, your mom's next, you're next." What you know what I mean? Like if you're exploiting someone, you have to give evidence that you're the one that you know what I mean. Yeah, you don't go hide the body. Like, you're kind of proud of it. Like, that's kind of the point, right? Yeah, the point of it is to show the person that you can get to them in any way. 
Yeah. Right. And so you're really not exerting leverage over it if there's like a week long missing person search. They said weeks, at least three weeks is one of the headlines that they put up there that Jordan's yeah. dad was yeah. missing three weeks. Weeks, so. weeks long missing person yeah. search. Uh, that's, that's crazy. Um, so again, I just, that part of it to me is wildly irresponsible in Bush League. And, but I, I wanted to make sure that, that we covered that. Yeah. Um, as far as the gambling stuff in general, some people believe that Jordan's retirement from basketball was also gambling related. This also, this feels a lot like there was like one, I guess, I don't even want to call it a black mark because I don't think it's a big deal at all. But there's like one blemish on a guy that was otherwise like had a perfect public persona. And so everything weird that happened to him, they're like, oh, it's got to be because of the gambling. Right. We didn't have anything else to tie it to. Like Con- like you said, Kanye West does something. You're like, oh, it's just Kanye. He's just a weirdo. Like, I don't know what to blame it on. Yeah. At first, it was just Kanye yeah. being Kanye. And then you're like, oh, okay, he's diagnosed bipolar. Like, he tells us he's off his meds sometimes. Like, okay, like, there's explanations there. But with right. Michael Jordan, he had this perfect public face. And the only thing we knew about him that wasn't perfect was that he loved gambling. Right. And so anything unusual that happened, we tied it to the one unusual thing we knew about him. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and so, just... again, I am not a believer in this conspiracy theory either. Although I do want to say it is more plausible than his dad's death being related to gambling. I yes. still think it's incredibly improbable. But it is more plausible than the first conspiracy theory we talked about. Well, it's it's certainly more plausible because there's actually if if the commissioner felt in any way that the gambling was an issue, this is an appropriate response. So, like, it falls in line, like you said, like killing his dad doesn't seem like an appropriate response for somebody who's as wealthy as him not making his payments. It feels like, hey, you need to go to him so he actually has to hand you the check. Type yeah. of thing. Like, yeah. it doesn't feel like the appropriate response. This would be. Um, and so that makes, uh, you know, it makes more, it's it makes more possible. It makes more sense in that case. Where it yeah. doesn't make sense is, first in of all. In any other way. There's no, yeah, literally in any other way. That just doesn't make sense. Um, there's no evidence that he ever gambled on basketball or sports of any kind. It was all like yeah. card games and golf, which I guess golf is a sport, sort of. But like, it's not like he was even betting he wasn't, on the PGA. He, he was, yeah, he wasn't. He was gambling on face, face. Yeah, yeah, he was doing the same thing that like guys do at every golf course every weekend in the country. Like, like, oh, you want to do twenty bucks a hole? Except for his was, you want to do a thousand dollars a hole? Like. Because he lives yeah. in a different tax bracket than the rest of us. <laughs> you yeah, know? I mean, really, yeah. So, um, but in terms of like actually gambling on professional sports, there's no indication that he ever did that. Right. And unless that was happening, there's no reason for the commissioner to suspend him at all. Because Absolutely. the black eye, quote unquote, that he was giving the league for the gambling scandal was just not even in the same ballpark as the amount of money he was making them by being Michael Jordan. No, and... Furthermore, he was gambling with other NBA players all the time. Like, he was playing cards with Magic and Charles and, and all these other guys. Like All the bulls on the plane. All the bulls on the plane. Like, what? So, all of a sudden, like you said, he's the one who gets suspended when he's the one bringing in all the money? Yeah, right. Like, that doesn't make any sense. That's, that's been, <laughs> for years, that was David Stern's argument. He's like, why would I kill the golden goose? 
he's like yeah. he he made our league in the 90s he's yeah like, why he's, would i he's like he would have had to do something he's like he would have had to get convicted of a felony for me to even like consider it you know yeah. and for that matter it's like it's like killing the golden goose because we find out it also like all other goose geese also poops. It's like ah, I got to kill the golden one though because he also poops. And it's like well that yeah. doesn't make any sense. That doesn't that doesn't check out here. <laughs> uh, the other the other issue is the only way for this to work would be if only David Stern and only Michael Jordan knew about the suspension and they obviously David Stern Stern R.I.P. took that to the grave. And Michael Jordan's never going to own up to it. Things like this don't only stay between two people. Like, that's just not how these things go. Right, because the other piece about it is if that's how David Stern approaches it, Michael Jordan's calling that bluff 10 times out of 10. You know, he's like, you won't. You won't. I'm going to play. If Michael Jordan wants to continue to play basketball, he's like, okay, well, you're going to have to make an announcement. And then you're going to have to look like the idiot because otherwise I'm not doing it. And – I, like I think somebody in the doc said that like the gambling storyline just doesn't it just doesn't add up. There's no there's literally zero facts. There's just all a bunch of what ifs and the what ifs don't make a lot of sense. No. But what does make sense is you've got the guy who wrote Rare Air saying in June of ninety two, Michael alluded to the fact that he was almost done. He said for a fact the one thing he needed to do to beat out Larry and Magic was win three in a row. Three beat, yeah. And then after that, like he said, he was out of challenges. There was nothing left for him. He, he couldn't of, get up. Couldn't get up for another game. There was nothing of, for him. He was out of challenges. He was tired of all the media scrutiny. He yeah. was just mentally exhausted from that standpoint. But also, you have to factor in the like you cannot overlook how much his father dying and the fact that his father wanted him to play baseball factors into this. Yeah, so I think that's, that's I mean, and that's huge, the next piece, huge right? Factor. So all that stuff lines up, and that storyline that makes way more way sense. more sense. And there's actual, there's literal facts here. And you've got multiple. It's not just the rare air author, you right? Have multiple people that have said like, I mean, even you go as far as Tim Grover, like he started changing his workouts before he retired. Like he's like, hey, I kind of like we need to like let's start doing some baseball workouts, like let's start doing some of this other stuff. And Tim Grover's like, that's going to hurt you on the basketball court. He's like, yeah, I know. I want, I want to do this. So, like, yeah. you have Tim Grover who's in on it. You have the Rare Air author who talked to him. You had um, Phil Jackson, I think, in the, in last week's episode talking about how he wouldn't. He thought he Michael was going to retire. He didn't know about the baseball, but he thought Michael was going to retire. Was, in, yeah, you had plenty of people being years. like, hey, I don't like I think he's done with this. Um, yeah, I mean, Larry Bird wasn't it? Well, everyone was magic who was like, You guys are you guys, the media, you guys are going to run him out of this game. Yep, you know, and not only his father dying, but then the media reaction to his father dying like, it makes sense. All of it makes sense that absolutely he would quit and go play baseball, especially considering the conversations he said he had with his father about his father wanting him to go play baseball and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that that that's narrative i mean i mean obviously like we've said i mean michael jordan knows the truth whatever the truth is he knows it but as we try to come up with narratives or or choose to believe narratives that are given to us that one just makes way more sense yeah a million logically like it all everything adds up there's nothing that you 
can really poke a hole in and say, well, that piece is a big what if. It's like, no, the only what if here is that you want it to be something else. That's yeah, the you only want what it if here. to be something salacious or whatever. And it's like, or this guy just went through a traumatic event and was kind of on the fence about continuing to play basketball anyway because of all this pressure he was under. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this is a man who needs constant challenges whether real or made up in his own mind to conquer. And once he felt he was out of those and then he has this traumatic event happen to him, like that's the thing that just makes the most sense. And yeah, I don't think it's close. I don't either. Um, so let's get into the baseball stuff. Yeah, let's do um, Because there's a couple interesting things here. Number one, he didn't play baseball for 14 years. Correct. Which is a really, really long time. <laughs> not is just, it? not just. Well, aside from that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a really long time not to play baseball because timing and repetition is probably more important in baseball than in just about any other sport. It is, it is maybe... exclusively a skill sport. There's very little athleticism, natural athleticism, that's, that is required. It is... Right. It, it, can it, certainly, is so, it can certainly add to a skill yeah. set and make you better. Like, but it's almost all skill-related. But yeah, if you don't have the skill set, the athleticism does not matter. It does not matter. And so the fact that this guy, like you said, has not been getting the reps... For 14 um, years. For 14 years. And also didn't get, you know, if you think you're a 17-year-old going to go play at the level that they inserted him at, that's just not very long. I mean, that just doesn't happen. No, uh, nobody. I, I mean, you like, heard. You don't take 17, 18-year-old kids and put them at double A. And that's no. what they did with Michael. And so and he took a 17-year-old skill set that is rusty from 14 years. Yeah. And went to go play baseball. Like, come on. Well, and. So a couple of things that I want to touch on again. This isn't just Jerry Reinsdorf saying that. Like, that's 100% accurate. Every prospect starts either at rookie ball or in some form of A ball. Now, there's high A ball and low A ball and short season A ball. But you either start in rookie or A ball. Everybody does. That's it. Right. Like, that's just it. Like, I used to follow baseball prospects way closer than I am proud to admit. Um <laughs> It was just the thing that I liked to do when there were fewer forms of entertainment in my life um, and fewer, you know, actual responsibilities. But nobody starts at double A at all. And the other thing about double A is the overall talent level might actually be better at double A than it is at triple A because double A is usually where they groom their top prospects. Triple A is usually a lot of veteran guys that aren't quite good enough for the majors. And sometimes the top prospects will spend some time in AAA, but usually the top yeah. prospects get their real hacks in and their real experience at AA. Right. And that's across baseball. Like, that's just how they handle it. Most of those guys get their reps at AA. And so mm-hmm. not only is he facing a level of talent that he should never have been stuck in with, and Reinsdorf admitted it was strictly because they had the media facilities to keep up with it, Right. Um, but also he was he may have been better off in triple A where he wasn't facing guys that probably would have played in the majors pretty soon. You probably have fewer guys end up being major league stars in triple A than you do in double A. 
Now you probably sure. have more guys in AAA that end up getting major league service time. Yeah, but because not, I mean, but they're not be, stars. They're grinders. Big, they're journeymen. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm not a big baseball guy, but would it be a fair thing to say like the AAA is kind of like it's a little more practice squatty. Like when you need somebody, you call them up out of there because they're ready yeah. to kind of fill a hole. But your best players are playing in Double A, preparing for. It's like the backup quarterback, right? So there's most backup quarterbacks in the NFL that aren't prospects are usually guys that have been in the league five, six, seven years. They know the offenses. They know the kind of thing. And if they have to fill in for the rest of the game, they're good guys to have. But if they have to fill in for multiple weeks, you're probably going to go with the prospect over the the veteran backup. You know what I mean? Because that guy has the higher upside. That's right. the difference here. It's like the rookie that's technically third string on a, on a depth chart at quarterback versus the backup who's been in the league seven years and knows the offense. Right. The rookie's the better prospect, oh, likely yeah. going to be if the better player. He plays your, double A. If you lose your quarterback, yeah, if you lose your quarterback for the rest of the season, you're plugging in the prospect because he's got the higher upside. If you lose your quarterback for the rest of the game, you're plugging in the backup because he knows the system. Like right. That's your triple A guy. The prospect is your is your double A guy. Yeah. So he's playing guys with real talent. Yeah, that's a good analogy. That I think that that helps understand because I think that's that's one of the big things is he gets a big knock and even in Space Jam, you know, Jim Rome is burning over Michael Jordan's batting average, but it was an unfair place to put him. Like, also, I listen. I real Michael Jordan was probably better at baseball in high school than I was just because he's Michael Jordan and he's obviously just at a different level of athleticism than I could ever dream of. But, like, I was a pretty good baseball player in high school. I had offers to play in college, like low-level, like, you know, small college, but there were still college offers, and I was pretty good at baseball. And I took probably – I would regularly take, like, batting practice and go to batting cages and stuff through like age 20, 21. And then I didn't really do much. And I joined a adult baseball league here in Omaha at like age 25, 26, somewhere in there. Okay. And it was gone. We're talking four or five years, probably about five years. And my skill set was gone. Just I could still pitch pretty well, but I couldn't hit. Like I like it was gone. And I hit against better people in high school than I did in this adult baseball league. And like it was it was gone. Yeah. And that is one third of the time that we're talking about Michael Jordan not playing this game. <laughs> one third. Yeah. Okay. So the erosion of skills in baseball is so fast. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like, this dude was starting from scratch. Yeah, and, I mean, now, I mean, he trained around the clock for it and everything, but that's still, that's that's just an unfair expectation, like, on that amount of time to turn around and be that good at something. I that's also unbelievable. want to address the fact that there are incredibly good college players. I'm talking all-conference, get-drafted, like their their teams have hope for them to be major leaguers someday. That cannot hit two hundred at double A. Their well, pro- and that's what those guys said, right? They're like, I couldn't believe he hit two hundred at double A. That there was unbelievable. Are career baseball players with zero gap in their career with real 
upside with yeah. with careers that are supposed to go somewhere that cannot do what he did. And listen, I'm not telling you that 202 is a good batting average because it's not. I'm telling you it's unbelievable that this guy could pick up a bat after 14 years <laughs> and perform at that level at double-A at baseball. It's yeah. unbelievable. And Terry Francona swears up and down, not just in this doc. He said it on Jordan Rides the Bus, and he's been on the record saying this for 20 years, basically, that if Jordan would have got 1,500 minor league at-bats, he would have made the majors. Yeah, and I mean, he was... Because I mean, he, he was, was improving that quickly. That's uh, and Yes, because that fall ball, they didn't touch on his fall ball. That fall ball, uh, did he go to the Arizona League? Yeah, he went to the Arizona like, Fall League. Good. Like, that was... I he was good. Believe I'm going to try and find the numbers, but I believe he hit, like, like a pretty significantly better... Yeah. Uh, well, because he had that, they said that he had that rough stretch where all he saw was breaking balls and he refused to stop swinging. Um, but once he figured out how to hit him, everything, I mean, he was, I mean, he was legit, you know, like he goes to fall ball and at that point he's figured it out. So he doesn't go through the hitting slump, drought, whatever that led. To yeah. So like, he's better by the time. And this is according to minorleaguebaseball.com. I M I L B.com. So by the time he got to the Arizona Fall League, he he batted 250 in the Fall League, which is a dramatic Im- improvement and just goes, especially in that short amount of time, but it goes to show the dramatic improvement he was making mm-hmm. in incredibly fast times. So um, I don't know if he would have made the majors. There's no way to know. There's no way anybody knows. Um, what I do want to ask, well, first of all, I want to say that his performance in minor league baseball was just phenomenal as is full stop. What yes. he was able to accomplish, like l- just literally blows my mind. Like I can't even wrap my mind around it. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do want to ask about his baseball career, because they made a, vi- I think they made a very specific choice to tie these things together in the documentary was does Michael Jordan come back to basketball if baseball is not on a strike in 1995. Because the way it shows in the documentary is that he refuses to break the strike and and be a scab for baseball. Yep. And is basically bored and has nothing to do because he can't play baseball. And so tags along with B.J. Armstrong to practice and kind of like finds the itch to play basketball again. Does that occur if there's no strike in 1995, or does he just keep plugging away in the minor leagues? So I think, um, I think he probably keeps plugging away. To be honest, I mean that was the challenge. He had aspirations to prove that he could get to to the majors, to the big leagues, um, and the strike kind of derailed it because he was asked to be a scab and get into the majors. Uh, to do the replacement games essentially um, and achieve that goal in a manner that he felt he did not earn, right? So that's not and, and in a manner, frankly, he didn't earn. I mean, he didn't right. earn. Like, right. I mean, in the he wasn't path. there yet. He wasn't there yet. You know, yeah. like maybe he was gonna be, but he wasn't there yet. Um, and I don't think that would have satisfied his need to accomplish the challenge. Um, 
And so had he been still involved with baseball because he was going to baseball practice and spring training and all that stuff every day, I think he keeps plugging along with baseball. So he may still return to basketball at some point, but it's not then. Um, but what happens is BJ calls him out. And now there's the challenge, right? And that's that's what he needed. That's what he was missing. He always yes. had to find that challenge. And then as much as he says, you know, baseball, and I know he loves baseball and his dad loved baseball, but his, I mean, his love was basketball. Like It was. Like, like you said, you, you can't, somebody said that as a teammate. It's like, you can't, you can't be his teammate if you don't just love basketball. And yeah. obviously he did. So For sure. that was enough. And I, I think I agree with you. I think he still would have returned to basketball eventually. Yeah. I don't think it's then. No, I, really I don't, don't think so. I really and don't. And I, I think he would have kept plugging away because I think he started to taste in that Arizona Fall League that he could overcome this obstacle. And he's like, oh, I might be able to get good enough. Yes, I think I think absolutely he wanted to finish the mission. And he wanted to finish he what he started. Out. Yep. Um, but he wasn't, he wasn't allowed to. Um, I think you were saying this kind of as we were getting ready for this. You said there was at that time there was no end in sight for that strike. Like he didn't know if there was going to be. They, they didn't know if there. They didn't know if there was going to be baseball in 1995. Like not real games. Yeah. Like they so, didn't know. They played a shortened. They yeah. played a shortened season in '95. Like nobody knew when that was going to start or if it was going to start. So right. there was a real chance that I mean they canceled the '94 World Series. Like if they cancel a World Series, like all bets are off for the next season. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like there's no telling whether or not this thing is going to come back or not. So, or at what point? And so I think as much as Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan is addicted to being competitive. I think he's just as addicted to overcoming challenges and like conquering challenges. Uh, I think that is as much as anything what he's addicted to because, like you said, he goes to practice with BJ Armstrong. BJ is like, oh, you're washed up. I can take you, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's like, to him, that's all it took because he's like, oh, if BJ Armstrong, if this bum thinks he can beat me now, everybody <laughs> must everybody must think they can beat me now. And that's enough yeah. for him to be like, oh, I'm going to do this again. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and so I, I, I agree. If baseball doesn't have their strike, I think he continues to play baseball. I do think he comes back to basketball eventually, but certainly would not have been for that. 95 playoffs and then the 95 96 season. I just, I don't think that happens. Yeah. I, I just don't think that's where it is. So we have the baseball players union to thank for Michael Jordan coming back, I guess. Yeah. I think, I mean, thank goodness. I guess, I mean, honestly, like, I don't. <laughs> it would have um, been dark days. It, it would have been. Uh, so in the meantime, back you know in basketball land while all this is going on and michael jordan's out there riding the bus uh you wanted to talk about those 93 94 bulls because a lot of people use that team and i believe they're 57 regular season wins mm -hmm. to show oh well michael jordan wasn't even that good like look they were almost just as good without him right that's that's the argument right that that's used to to debunk jordan as the goat because his team was so good that when they didn't have him, Scotty was all this, and you had all these other guys, and and I just think that there's I think number that one this, that so good team got bounced in the second round. Just 
So we're all clear. Right. And that, and that is all because like, that is the point where all of this starts to derail. And you heard these guys talk about it and say, well, Scotty was the nice teammate. Like we liked, you know, he was the nice one, put your arm around you type of guy. And this, that year, everything just flowed. We, we didn't have just one guy. There was, everybody was sharing the ball and everybody was getting plenty of shots and nobody was yelling at each other and da, 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 da. And things were flowing and things were good. Well, Here's a problem with that is when it's nut cutting time at the end of playoffs, this team folds and everything that they, the reason they, they were good is because of what Jordan did to them before that, you know, he trained them in this. And when that training went away, it was a slow, uh, decline, but event, but they were in fact declining, you know, um, I think that there's, there's a couple other pieces there, but I think that's, that's the biggest one is that that team's success is really, in my opinion, a testament to Jordan's greatness because it's, look at what he enabled them to do. B.J. Armstrong has a career year that year. Yes, it's because he gets more shots because Jordan isn't taking them, but after that, he goes to play for the Hornets. He could have still been good. He's worse. Horace Grant, career year. He goes to play with the Magic. Yeah, they've got great players, but he, he averages less. His numbers go down. Um, that's the only two. That's the only year either one of those guys made an All Star team. You also get the addition of Tony Kukoc that year, who didn't play with them before, but he's a bona fide European stud who comes over and lends a hand and helps them get fifty seven wins, including several game winners that we saw. So the the concept that this team was so good, even without Michael, I think it's. I think they were so good because of Michael, you know, uh, we can get into the, the Pippins thing in the finals, but what happens is they win 57 games in 93, 94, because you get a lot of that residual effect of Michael. Well, 94, 95 comes around. They're 34 and 31. When he joins the team, they're terrible. Steve Kerr <laughs> said they're terrible. He said, yeah. we're not good. You know, they were a 500 team without him. Yeah. They, they were not good without him. And that's because, they did not have him um, pushing so it, them, it doing reminds, those things. It reminds me a lot of the Dallas Cowboys in the mid-90s. They had Jimmy Johnson. Yes. They won their back-to-back Super Bowls. Yes. And him and Jerry Jones have a pissing contest, and Jerry Jones is the owner, so Jerry Jones wins. Mm-hmm. Sure. They bring in Barry Switzer. They have a good year in 94. They win the Super Bowl in 95. With what most people believe is just the residual built-in system from what Jerry uh, Jimmy Jones had or Jimmy Johnson had, mm-hmm. and by '95 they're a little bit, or by '96 they're a little bit worse. By '97 they're six and ten. Barry Switzer gets fired. Like there is a residual leadership that lingers, especially when you have people intact. Part of the reason that yes. it lasted two years for the Dallas Cowboys is because Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin were all intact. After '93, '94. Horace Grant's gone. B.J. Armstrong's gone. You have more of the pieces and more of that leadership that was still there. That institution. Yeah, you had the institutional knowledge that Jordan instilled is eroding. Yeah. And so they fell off pretty dramatically the next year. Yeah. I mean, like we've seen this before. This isn't an unprecedented. Like that's that would be like saying Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer are the same as head coaches and they're just not. 
in terms of NFL success, you know, like you yeah, go college, mean, whatever. But like, no one thinks Barry Switzer is as good of a coach as Jimmy Johnson. No one. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it, it doesn't. I, it it just does not compute to me how you could not. I mean, this doc was so great at pointing it out, but I don't know how why we were been, ever been having this argument. Like, it just makes total sense when you look at it from the the facts of it. Like, yeah, this team was falling off in a hurry. Um, and and I know, including including Scottie Pippen himself, who needed Michael Jordan to be there because. Yes. Not everyone has the temperament to do the things Michael Jordan does. And like Scottie Pippen liked, I think, to think of himself as the alpha that season. But when it came time to do alpha stuff, like he didn't do it. And sometimes doing alpha stuff, as we saw in 93, Jordan passes to John Paxson in 97, Jordan passes to Steve Kerr in the biggest possible moments. Yeah. Right. When it times to do when it's time to do alpha stuff and Phil Jackson asks Scottie Pippen to make that pass to Tony Kukoc. He couldn't do it like doing alpha stuff isn't always taking the shot. And I think being a big enough man to know that if somebody has a better shot, they should take it. And that's I mean, and that's the complimentary piece to Scottie and Michael, right? Like I. I know there's a lot going on right now with people saying how good Scotty is. And yes, he's good. I'm not trying to take away from him. And he's better than you remember. And he's better than the numbers say. Like, I don't he care. Is. Like in 20 years, you're going to look at his stats and you'll be like, oh, he was pretty good. And you're not going to understand unless you watched him. Yes. But he is that. I mean, he, he is the perfect number two. He does not he reach the- that mark without. Michael, because they are the perfect thing. Like he Michael probably, is the a hole that tears you out, and Scotty walks over and puts his arm around you and says, "Hey, classic, I'm going to get you the next time." Right? Cop, bad cop situation. So they are perfect together. And what happens here is Scotty thinks, "Well, I'm now the best player on this team, and I should be doing all the stuff that Michael did." The problem is that wasn't Scotty's style. Scotty wasn't a dog like that. So at the end of the games, Scotty was maybe best facilitating. He was a facilitator. He, he was always a, best facilitating. That was that so, was a that was part of the thing that they pointed out today. Like Scotty was like the original point forward in that in that in that nineties triangle offense. Right. Like obviously so, you had like Bird as a point forward, you have Magic Johnson who's kind of a hybrid, but that so like it's, true it's funny that he thinks he needs to be the score at the end of the game. Like Luke Longley's or not Luke Longley, sorry, Tony Kukoc is the score. That's Tony Kukoc's game. He can't guard for anything. But That's he's why the, he's there, though. He's there to hit the jumper. Right. He's there to hit, to get that bucket. And so that whole thing. And to be clear, he did get the bucket. Like, he made the shot. It, they won the game. The shot, right? And so that's the thing is Scotty is okay deferring to Michael. But apparently he couldn't defer to anybody else because he Eagle couldn't get out of his couldn't head. allow it. And so that's why you needed Michael because it was clear that he was the alpha. And he was going to do whatever it took to win because he understood that was his role as the alpha. And that's what that team lacked, and that's how in that in that uh, uh, playoff series, like you see that erosion, and that just carries over into that 500 season next year, where it's just like this is, I mean, it's washed. Like you're not getting it back. You don't have the number one that you need. You know, it's not this whole committee thing is nice when someone's helped develop that culture and it works for a time, but you got to have somebody. You still have to have the. 
you right? still have to have the guy that will call you out when you're not doing what you need to be doing and that is good enough to back it up on the court. Yeah. And that is a rare person. Like that person is like there's not that many of those guys. There's just no, not that are not. that will 100% call you out and that have 100% the juice on the court to back it up. Mhm. Like that guy is hard to find. Larry Bird was one of them, 100%. Yeah. Michael Jordan was one of them, 100%. I mean, I'll give it to LeBron. I mean, I will. I don't LeBron's think LeBron's a different kind of style. leader. He's right. a different he has, type of leader. He, you sometimes catch him doing the call out thing, but he doesn't actually feel that good about it because then he usually ends up going over and he trying to be the other the guy too. Good cop and the bad cop, which is doesn't weird. work. Yeah, it doesn't it work. Doesn't always work, but you know, he yeah. has had a great career and he's got three titles. Like, if he had. A little more dog in him. Maybe he's got four titles. Who knows? But yeah, he's. Pro- I mean, that's and that's the hard part is you he's don't know. Playing on that Cleveland team, right? And Kevin Love ain't a dog, and Kyrie ain't a dog. No, and so you needed LeBron to be the dog, but he still wanted to be the likable good cop. Yeah, so I don't think LeBron is quite go there. Yeah, I don't think LeBron is naturally that guy. Right, which is fine. Like I'm not holding that against him. It's just no, it's, it's a, a again it's, it's a very. It rare skill set combination you know like lebron obviously obviously, go ahead sorry lebron obviously has the juice on the court yeah but doesn't necessarily have the personality to call you out all the time whereas like draymond's kind of the flip side where he's got way more of the i'll call you out and like has just enough juice on the court to back it up which is why uh kd didn't like it because he just didn't respect the juice on the court so he wasn't having it but Whereas, like, Steph, Steph is like, listen, I'm a killer, too. I just don't yell like you do. And I think that's why him and Draymond get along, because he works on the level Draymond wants people to work at. Yes. And so he doesn't need, he doesn't get called out by Draymond. No, not like, like that. And neither does Draymond. Like, those guys are all cool with it. Like, they all understand their role because they all grew up in it together. Like, that's your, that's your culture, your system growing up. And they bring KD in as a part of it, but it's just like when these guys left, right? You have the erosion. Well, you brought KD in, and it was great, and you got away with it for a time, but eventually he wasn't a part of that culture and and couldn't find a home in it, and so he wasn't happy. It's kind of like the like Steve Kerr was talking about tonight, or like Jordan was talking about tonight. Guys like Kerr and Bushler and Wennington, like they didn't go through the stuff that that first three peat squad went through, and so. He had to put them through it. He yeah, felt responsible some of those to put guys, them through it. Some of those guys didn't didn't stand up to and the Some test, of those right? guys hacked it, and some of them guys didn't. Steve Kerr hacked it. That's why he got the shot in '97. Right. He was. It was all because he pushed back. He pushed back, right? And he took the punch. And it's like Will Ferrell in kicking and screaming. I took that punch, and I did not go down. Right. Like that's that's all you needed. Like that was the test. And he instantly he had. He instantly had Jordan's respect after that. Um, what I thought was kind of strange was at the end of the first episode that they aired tonight, episode seven, was when they kind of started to ask Michael Jordan, like, do you think this makes you not a nice guy? Do you think, you know, like, do you think that hurt your perception? Like, he got kind of emotional about it and mm. was like, hey, like, I did what I felt I had to. And what not everybody's willing to do that, which I agree with. I also 
like I, again, most people in the documentary have said like, yeah, on the court he was a dick, off the court he was a good guy. Basically, everybody but BJ said that in terms of teammates. Right. So I think, um, I, I, I mean, again, not to put, you know, you said it with the baseball. I'm going to say it here, not to put myself anywhere near his level. Like that's not where I'm going with this. I'm just, I'm relating it to some of my experience. You've got some leaders. You've got some experience as a leader on a basketball team. Yes. Um, so I was a a captain on our basketball team. Um, and I was probably a lot more in the Draymond camp sure. of not quite having the juice, but needing to be that vocal leader. Because so, nobody else would. Because nobody else would. And so part of that is um, I really relate to Michael when he has that quote of saying, you know, the one thing they'll say about me is I never asked anybody to do something, something that, you that I didn't do. do yeah. Right. So I, I was the hardest worker. That was the only way I had any juice on the court <laughs> was to be the hardest worker. And so when I called people out, you get, that, you get that respect and you can get them to that next level. Um, but he said winning has a price, leadership has a price, and it does. And that price is you're not one of the dudes, right? When these guys are hanging out, and I know they talk about some of the fun times that are hanging out, but there's still that slight separation, of you're still not quite one of the dudes because at any given moment you're going to get on their case about something. Yeah. You know, like uh, somebody, I, somebody leaked something somewhere that he would try to tell the, the people on the flight not to feed a guy after he had a bad game or whatever. <laughs> saw that on social media. And it, it's stuff like that where it's like those guys would not fully be themselves around you because they knew that you could try to hold them accountable to something. And so it is emotional say, because you're not – you do miss out on a certain on certain things. Now, if you put winning where he puts winning and where I put winning, like, you do that. But it is hard because there's a price to that, and that is being, being uh, a friend. Um, and I think his time in baseball made him realize that um, because something – that really stood out to me on that was somebody said he it was like he was a kid again, right? But I totally get what they're saying there because he was not the psycho leader because he didn't have that juice anymore. That wasn't his role. And so he didn't take on that role. He got to be one of the dudes. Um, from the second he was a bull walking around with the cocaine circus, he was an adult. He was automatically the best. He was already the best player on the team. He was already the hardest worker. He was already the guy that was going to be the leader. And he never got to be a kid and be a part of the team like that. And I think baseball was fun for him because he had to be that way. And it's emotional in that second three-peat because he gave all that up. He yeah. was not that dude. And as close as they are in some ways, there's always that little bit. And so I can relate to the emotional piece of that um, because there's a price. And that's the price you pay. But he wanted to win. And that's that, that's what it is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what it is. And it's, I mean, it's tough. You know, it's tough to hear some of the things these guys say. Well, and that's a good explanation because I didn't really, uh, honestly, I thought it was weird that that was the time that he, like, asked for a break and, and needed a break. And I was, uh, to be honest, I was just a little confused by it. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird that that's the thing that cracks him up. But when you put it like that, and he's like, he sacrificed this thing that he sees 
all of these other guys have. And he does it because he knows if he's not the bad cop, nobody else will be. Right. And he'll have this like tissue paper soft Scottie Pippen led team. And again, no offense to Scottie Pippen, but that's just his personality in terms that's of leadership or whatever. Um, and so he's like, okay, well, I guess I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes a lot more sense. Uh, and, and it also makes a lot more sense why he kind of cherished that. I mean, he, he, he literally says in the doc, like they just treated me like I was one of the guys. And yeah, he got to be one of the guys for the first time in his professional career. And maybe even going back further, he was one of the guys. I mean, probably going back to care. I mean, probably going back to when he hit the game winner in the 82 championship as a freshman. Yeah. Like he stopped being one of the guys that day. Yeah, he changed his name, and that was it, man. I mean, <laughs> he stopped being – Mike was one of the guys. Michael Jordan was not. Michael Jordan was not one of the guys, and that's that's really tough. And that contrast, I think, became so sharp for him. I'm not sure that he realized what maybe what was so draining about those first nine years in the league that he retires at 30, right? Yeah. And then he goes play baseball, I think – Coming back, he was like, oh, that was it. <laughs> That's the piece right there. <laughs> you know, I'm just not quite one of them. But that's But once he experiences that and comes back and he's in his, you know, mid-30s and he's an adult, he seems a lot more okay with it. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think he swallows it. He's like, all right, well, I still want to win. You know, I'm not coming back here to not win. And yeah. so this is, we're just going to do he's it. like, I'm okay, it I had my fun. Yeah. Time to get back to work. Yeah. I mean, pretty much. Well, speaking of that, this is the last thing I think I have for um, for these episodes this week. And we're right at about an hour right now. So um, I think a good place to wrap up unless you've got anything else. But the the first championship back against the Sonics, they go through, they win the 72 (laughs) um, games. They, I believe, at 3-0 and against the Sonics, have only lost one playoff game to that point? No, I think, I thought it was, two. was it one? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they finished with 13 losses combined. And, and they had two so they in the finals the and one before that, so that's 13. Yeah, yeah. So okay. they only had one going into 3-0 and against the, against the uh, in game four. They were going into game four with only one loss in the playoffs. Right. And so they're, they lose game four. They lose the sweep. Do you think it is at all possible, knowing that game six is back in Chicago on Father's Day, obviously going to be a very emotional time with what we talked about with what happened with his father earlier. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any chance that Michael Jordan is – maybe not in full FU Michael Jordan mode in game five and is kind of whether consciously or subconsciously in cruise control thinking, man, it'd be really cool to win it on father's day. So I think that that's a very real possibility. I'm just looking. The final of that game was 89, 78 Sonics win. Michael Jordan's leading score of the game with 26 points. Um, you know, what did he, he played, from the field? Played say? 43 minutes. He was 11 of 22, 50% from the field. Um, you know, not not a horrible game. He was kind of like quiet. A classic, and other, 
Not a classic Michael Jordan game. No, he was quite in other categories. Four rebounds, one assist, one steal. Um, but I think that there is the high probability that if he, if that was a winner, winner go home game, that's not the final score, right? Um, if this is game four and it could be a sweep. I'm guessing he tries to find that extra gear. Um, but I think there's a little bit of him that was like, I'm not going to sell out here. Like, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it my 100% effort, but I'm not going to go, not going to like dig, dig in like he had to, you know, like what they talk about with uh, against the Celtics, where he's like, I'm going to put this team on my back and take them as far as I can take them, you know, type of thing. Yeah, um, I mean, you hear achieve. all these. You hear all these stories throughout the years of like, um, you know, Doug Collins first game as coach and they're down and Michael Jordan wills them back to win. Or yeah. I mean, for instance, here they're down two headed into the fourth quarter. They lose the fourth quarter by nine points. Um, or you go to there's this game in KG's rookie season where he gets a little uh, or KG gets a little hot and starts talking trash to Jordan and Jordan leads this like 14 point fourth quarter comeback against a trash yeah. uh, Timberwolves <laughs> team or um you know you hear BJ Armstrong talks trash in game 2 and they go out and kill him in game 3 or Nick Anderson says 45 8 23 23 comes back in game 3 and kills him you know you have so many of these instances where he is just in full Michael Jordan mode and i just feel like game 5 he wasn't going to like he he's like I'm saving full Michael Jordan mode for game six. That's what it felt like. That's what it feels like. Especially because um, he says a... in the doc, he goes, you know, I, it didn't have anything to do with Terry <laughs> Curran. I, I had a lot on my mind. They had nothing to do with the glove. Yeah. And I think so. I think that was part of it. I think it was like he just wasn't quite willing to go to that place. Um, another thing, like this has been a theme, but Scottie Pippen just disappeared in this game for him. So that sucks. <laughs> uh, he had 14 points, eight rebounds and five assists. He did that on five of 20 shooting, uh, one of eight from three. So he was a real gem. So it feels like it feels like one of those games where it's like, okay, Michael Jordan's going to put in like a regular Michael Jordan night of work. And if everybody else plays their A game, they win the championship in five. But it was one of those nights where he's like, I'm not going to do this by myself. Zero people helped him. I mean, (laughs) zero people. Rodman had 12 rebounds, which was below his season average. It's like a third Um, below his season average. He averaged like 18 a game. Yeah, Kukoc gave him 11 points. Luke Longley gave him 11. Kerr gave him seven off the bench. And Wennington gave him three off the bench. And that was it. Not a lot of help. Not a lot of help. So when he goes out there and scores 26... And they fall and they lose the fourth quarter by nine points. I just get the feeling that it was like, well, nobody was making any open shots to help him out. And so that's just what it was. It was like he's just not going to go full. He's not going to exert full takeover because he was going to guarantee that game six win, right? Like that was kind of where his headspace was. It was like, well, five is fine. But once he didn't get the sweep. It's like I'll put us in position, but I – I am for sure winning that game six, right? Yeah. Once they didn't get the sweep, it felt like, I don't know, maybe it's just the coincidence sports and that type of thing, but it felt like the poetry of winning it on Father's Day was just a little too much. Yeah, there's just, I mean, and I'm, it's crazy the, the coincidences that that falls on for uh, different things. I just know there's a lot of Father's Day, U.S. Open 
uh, situations. Yeah. That, that falls together. So I'm familiar with a lot of those uh, for golf. And um, so it just is just like kind of a beautiful thing that just kind of happened there. Or like you said, like, I don't think he was going to be mad if it didn't. I don't think he was making it so. No, but, but there was zero percent chance they were losing Game Six on Father's Day. Yeah, just none. Like that was absolutely like that was that, that was, was a wrap. Cold lock. Bet your don't bet you, this month's mortgage. Bet the year's mortgage on it. Like <laughs> not losing that game, right? Um, so yeah, so I I mean really excited. I um, working our way through the the ninety eight playoffs here. Reggie Miller comes out with some blasphemy leading into the next. Yeah, week. we're. We're on to the, which we're on, we're on in 98, we're on to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Pacers, which is their hardest series of either three-peat, I believe. I, th- I don't know, man. I think somebody better do a wellness check on Reggie Miller, because if Michael Jordan did not know about that quote before tonight, he, <laughs> Reggie's life is in danger. That was, that was crazy, man. Um, crazy. I, Am I wrong? Is that the only series in either three-peat that goes seven? Oof. Um, it might be because they do a lot of the uh, – they have the fives in the front. They had the fives early, but they basically swept all those in the first rounds. I think it's the only series in either three-peat that went seven, if I'm remembering right. Um, I'm trying to look here. So, so as you're looking up, I'm going to wrap up and hopefully okay. we have an answer by the time uh, we're wrapped here. But um, so as that is the uh, fourth edition of the last dance uh, podcast. We've got our last, our last, last dance uh, podcast next week, the 17th. We'll be getting that out to you again, same night as we always do. Um, it'll be me and Jake again for the finale. Um, Super excited, as we mentioned. Looks like we're going to cover the Eastern Conference Finals and the Finals, I'm guessing, in Episodes 9 and 10, respectively, um, as we get to uh, the end of the 98 season. Looks like we'll also, I'm guessing, in the alternate timeline, since we're kind of working on two timelines here, we'll also get the 97 championship, the first one against the Jazz. Uh, So that'll be... I mean, so we're looking at, we're, we've got the flu game coming up, which will be iconic. We've got the game winner against Byron Russell coming up. We've got uh, the Steve Kerr game winner coming up. So lots of really good stuff coming up in this last week here. It seems like they really saved that final punch for the end. So I'm super excited about that. Um, Jake, do we have anything yet? Uh, for whatever reason, my basketball reference is not cooperating. You're struggling with the basketball reference? I am. I'm disappointed in myself. Um, All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to look them up. Just look them up year by year. Because it should have your it should have your playoff results year by year, I would think. This is fantastic audio yeah i'm sure there's there's a lot there's a lot of dead air here the playoffs east first round goes three east semis goes five east finals goes four which which year are you in then 91 finals 91 okay so i'll start working backwards 
All right. So, so far, that was the only one. That season, 97 playoff summary. Here we go. Bulls in six, Bulls in five, Bulls in five, Bulls with the sweep. All right, 92. We've got three. Oh, nope, there is one. Oh, East yeah. Eastern Conference semis right. in 92 against the Knicks. Right, they talk they about that. Where seven. Yeah. Um, they talked about that. Eastern Conference finals, they went six. And finals, they went six. I think those are the only two. Are those the only two? Yeah, I think so. I'm checking 93 right now just because I'm going to finish going through it since we already went this far. Yeah, I went in the second three-peat. It's the only one in the second three-peat. Okay, and I'm on the last one. Elimination game. Six. Yeah, so there's only those two. You had the 92 Eastern Conference semis against the Knicks and the 98 Eastern Conference finals against the Pacers. So they went, you know, seven years between game sevens. It's kind of remarkable that they just he just didn't let it get that far. No, I mean no, he just he just did not did not let it get to an elimination game against him. And I don't think that I know a lot of times people use that as argument for bad competition. I I honestly don't think that's the case. I think he was just a playoff performer, man. I mean he puts up amazing numbers in the playoffs. Um, and we can discuss some of the big picture stuff next week after we wrap up. But yeah. Uh, we're at about an hour 15 now, so we're going to wrap up here for the right. day. Um, next week, again, we'll be back with the final episode of The Last Dance, uh, final two episodes of The Last Dance, final episode of the podcast. You can find me on Facebook, Heavy Lifting with Robbie Lula, on any of your podcast platforms of choice as well with that same name, on Twitter or Instagram at RALula, or on the website, RobbieLulaRadio.com. And until next time, have a good week. 